movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie theater, popcorn, and other movie snacks. As always, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Malhorn. David, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing well. You didn't have a uh, John Wick snack for today? I didn't have a John Wick. I'm running out of snacks. I, I, I'm starting to discontinue the snacks. If if we were to do a John Wick 3 snack, it could be a pigeon. I feel like they talk about eating pigeons at one point. Uh, and that's really all the food, I think, that is mentioned. Maybe no, water. No, you should have said duck fat fries Ooh. from John Wick 2. I could have done duck fat fries. I could do... Water that has been gargled by Halle Berry and then spit back into a water bottle, but that it feels getting a little too spoilery. That's true. So we don't. Like, Which you just. I just said, said it, it anyway. Whatever. I didn't give any context or anything. <laughs> just for if you haven't seen the movie, I'm, guess I, what? Halle Berry's in the movie. I I apologize for that one bit of spoiler, but we are here talking about what I think is. And this is a longer conversation, but is one of our great action franchises. One of the franchises that is rare nowadays in that it was not a pre-existing IP. It was not something. It wasn't an adaptation. It was a very simple story. It wasn't anything particularly special. But the passion of the people behind it, the writers, the directors, the lead actor, has given us something that I feel is genuinely special. And that is the John Wick franchise wait you can you can make a good movie off of original content yeah well not only that man but i mean and again we'll, we'll talk about this but with john wick i mean it's a simple i mean it's it's simple just took my friends at Lionsgate to say <laughs> we'll do something original let's just that's give not that's not just jason statham that's true well you know they i mean they are doing they're, they just got bought i'm i'm sad they did just get bought cbs bought them Oh, man, the quality is going to go down. You it can is. All, it's, if there's going to be far less Statham. There's going to be a lot less Statham. That's okay. He'll be. He'll still be busy. He's got the Fast and Furious to. I know. Which is being directed by the co-director of the first John Wick movie. I know. There's so many, so many things about this franchise and what it's given us in the last what five years. The first one was in 2014, and it was. I think the reason it was so well received because it didn't make a ton of money. It made like eighty-eight million dollars or something like that, and it, but it only cost what twenty, thirty, forty, something like that. It wasn't expensive. It made a profit, and it was very simple. It is you don't you killed my dog. I'm gonna kill all of you, <laughs> and I think that that is a feeling that a lot of people can relate to, and I think that was one of the things that I think motivated its success, not to mention the fact that it's just a cool movie with cool lines uh, and cool kills and cool stunts and cool action because it was directed by two stunt guys, former stuntmen. It was directed by, and their names, they really don't make it easy on me in pronouncing their names, but it's Chad Stileski, I think, Mm Stileski, and David Leach or Leitch. I can't remember um, if it's pronounced one way or the other, but they were former stunt guys. Stileski is actually Keanu's stunt man, mm-hmm. like stunt double, 
And they went in and they decided to make this action movie. And one of my favorite parts about the, the, the franchise as a whole, before we get into like, you know, favorite lines and stuff like that, because we haven't had an opportunity to talk about John Wick at all, is the fact that A-list movies can come from B-list ideas. This is, if you make this movie with like Dolph Lundgren, it's a direct-to-VOD, sure. nobody cares, right? And and the same thing if if you make it with a different action director if you didn't if you don't make it with these guys nobody cares it doesn't spawn this franchise maybe it does and it's just this is a shitty B level franchise but when you have the commitment when you have the talent and the passion anything can be an A list idea it, you, you want to make a, a big budget Sharknado movie I bet you you could pull it off if you had somebody buy into the idea you look at something like Aquaman. Which is, for all intents and purposes, a real stupid idea. And you get passionate people and talented people behind a project. And they make a pretty fun movie. But this franchise is a blast. Um, what is some of your... Let's let's do a little quick retro retrospective on the franchise, starting with the first one. What are some of your favorite moments from the first film? And we'll keep it short and sweet. Yeah, well, I think what I liked when I first saw John Wick was kind of it was a simple, straightforward film. But it just had phenomenal action in it um that being said i think some of my favorite moments really come from the lines like the action's all great sure and and i enjoy every action scene that's in there to me what is most memorable from it is some of the lines that come from there so you have the one that was in all the trailers which is the People keep asking if I'm back. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm back, which is the which, longest monologue he has in the entire franchise. Yes, which I was going to say. <laughs> one of the things I love about this franchise is I'm not in the camp that feels like Keanu is the best actor. Like, I really enjoy Keanu movies and right. I enjoy him as a character, but I don't think I would ever be like, man, Keanu's just like amazing in this film. I think where he thrives, and I think this is where this film, and it all started back with the first one, really takes advantage of that, is he's one of the best physical yes. character actors. Like, from the standpoint of, yes, the person directing this is his stunt double, but he does, like, the majority of this himself. He's so committed. Because he's so committed to this. And so I think it allowed it to focus on what he does well, which is the physical acting and everything that he is just so committed to. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't get you muddled up in, all right, his delivery on lines. His dialogue sometimes in film drags him down a little bit. And it's hard not to just think of Bill and Ted at times. And just the typical like, because I think that's the other thing that you get caught up at times with Keanu is like, he has just such like a a thing about him that defines who he is that you think about with Keanu, like with every single character, even though he's played, you know, Neo, he's played right. John Wick, he's played, um, what's his name in Point Break? Johnny uh, Utah. Johnny Utah. Shane Falco. Yeah. I mean, but he always has that same kind of like demeanor to him almost like the almost like slightly aloof like. Yeah. And so I think what this film did was it took that away 
because you, he's not talking as much and you're not getting that and you're more focusing on like what a badass is, you know, like Absolutely. how cool he is. Absolutely. I think he's, I think he's in, I mean, you look at silent film stars and I say this in my, I wrote this in my review, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Fred Astaire, Mary Pickford, they were known for their physical talents. They were known, Fred Astaire was known as a dancer, you know, uh, Buster Keaton and, uh, Charlie Chaplin were known for their their silent film, their physicality. And even modern times, Jackie Chan, Tom Cruise gets all the praise in the world. Keanu deserves to yeah. be in that conversation, if not the head of it, for what he puts into this role. So that was my long roundabout way. But my favorite quote from, from the first film is when uh, they go into the lore of John Wick. Uh-huh. And uh, what's the nickname for him? The Baba, Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga. But I love when he goes, he's not the boogeyman. He's the guy that you hired to kill the, the boogeyman. boogeyman. Uh, that's my favorite line. And probably of all the films, it's my favorite line. It's but so I good. love that whole scene where they're describing him. And then he delivered the, the Russian. I think they're Russian. Yeah. Delivers that line about him as being the Vigo. guy that you hired. Yep. Vigo and Yosef. Yeah. Or, and he's just laying it. I was like, I gave him an, an impossible task and he completed it. One other question on John Wick one before. Well, you can you can give your thoughts, too. But does it did it make it so much easier to hate Theon? Yep. Because. He was so hateable in this movie. Perfect casting. It was perfect casting. The only way you could have made it better is if you would have cast like the guy who played uh, Ramsey. Yeah, like, my hard maybe. part. My hard part was like I don't know which one influenced which. Like I don't know if like him and John Wick made me hate him more in Game of Thrones, right? Or vice versa, or maybe both. Not for nothing. Also, sidebar, but you've got me on billions and. Toby Leonard Moore, who plays Connerty, is one of Yosef's little shithead lackeys. That's right. And I'm just like, oh my God, Connerty's in this movie. <laughs> Getting drowned in a sink like a punk. Like that's that's a tough look. Tough way to go. Um, but I I everything about this movie is phenomenal. Everything about the first movie is phenomenal. I it, it's all it, it's so simple in the way that it builds its lore, in the way that when Vigo calls John Leguizamo. Shout out to John Leguizamo, by the way. Anytime you can get him into, into a movie, I love it. And Vigo calls me and goes, well, I heard you struck my son. And he's like, yes, sir, I did. And he's like, why? Well, he stole John Wick's car and killed his puppy. And he just says, oh, and hangs up. Like That, that tells you so much more about John Wick than any, any dialogue, any... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Any... Uh, speech, you know, any bit of that world building is done with just one word. It's so good. And then the second one, for the most part, immediately follows the first one. It's where he grabs his car. And if the first one is all about revenge, then the second one is basically the general theme of it is like, don't stab the devil in the back. Like, it's okay. We've, we've pissed him off now. It's vengeance. It's vengeance. Yeah, you go from revenge to to full blown vengeance, and it expands this world of assassins because we get the continental. Oh, there's no business to be carried out on the continental grounds, meaning there's no killing. This is a safe space. And then Perkins 
in the first, which, I mean, we didn't even mention Willem Dafoe was in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adri- uh, oh gosh, I'm going to forget her name. Um, the one who tries to kill him in his Yeah, hotel Perkins. Room. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Adrian Pilecki. Pilecki. Yeah. Um, who's fantastic in it. Dean Winters. Like, there's such this world of assassins and, mm-hmm. and, and rules and whatnot. And then in the second one, when the shithead Santonio or whatever shows up, he's like, I have, you owe me a blood debt. And so, oh, now we're introduced to the concept of blood debts. We're introduced to this whole rules, more rules, more more depth to this world of high assassins. table. Uh huh. That we don't we don't see the high table in the second one, but we're talked about. You know, he's wanting a seat at the high table, so we got to kill his sister. his sister. So there's an opening at the high table, and so there's all these different things that I think in the first film. It teased at, and, and and again, I don't think anybody thought right out the gates that like we were going to get two more John Wick movies. I don't even know if the people creating it knew that we were for sure going to get two John Wick, two more John Wick movies. But I think the first one kind of gave you enough of it to like realize, okay, like yes, this is set in New York, but it's not necessarily like it's like an underworld of New York, like, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Well, and then we go outside of New York. Yeah. We go to Italy. We go to, uh, to, to out into the world. It almost progresses in a way like what we saw even from like the matrix from the standpoint of like, mm-hmm. yes, we were introduced to the matrix and you know that, but like we stayed pretty small from that standpoint and then like it expanded and got bigger and bigger and bigger as it went and we got into with each of them going into the third even you get more lore more world building more all these you know details of this world that we're living in which you know is new york city but it's a different new york city obviously yeah definitely um and there's so much love about the second one too it just ups the ante in every way in the action the the catacombs is one of my favorite scenes the <laughs> there's a, the line where he's talking with Lawrence Fishburne and that's the other thing it's okay we're going to bring in Lawrence Fishburne yep. okay we're going to bring in Common and we're going to bring in Ruby Rose we're going to flesh this out with these wacky ass characters where the whole fight with Common is so good and yeah. he tells Lawrence Fishburne where he's like what does he say you want a war or you want to just give me a gun Yep. <laughs> Somebody get this man a gun. Like, I'm here for that. Fishburne, between the second movie and the third movie, like, it's like a polar opposite. It's like he's on vacation almost. Like, you know, with Matrix, when he worked with a lot of these same people, like, he was very serious. He was Morpheus. He was this leader, you know, of men and that kind of thing. And in this one, he's like this underground, like, self-declared king yeah. you know type of thing and all he's the just like people in new york surprised they're not homeless they're my eyes like, yeah oh my god <laughs> and he's just this like over the top like just you could just tell lawrence fishburne was having a lot of fun with this role right and then it ends with i mean we go this whole these these last two movies they set up the fact that there are rules that this world is guided by rules yeah. They set up the fact that there's no business to be conducted on continental grounds. They even stop a fight. Him and Common stop and have a drink yep. in the middle of their fight because they crash into the continental and they follow the rules. And then the end of John Wick 2, can't do it anymore. He's fucked the rules. Shoots Santino in the head. 
on Continental Grounds, and he's excommunicado. And that's immediately where part three picks up, literally seconds after part two. Mm-hmm. And we're ready to go. And, sure. and again, it expands the world more. We'll talk about it more in spoilers, but it expands the world more. We go deeper into this world. We go to other locations. We meet people in the high table, yeah. more people in the high table. All we that get a kind better of stuff. idea of what that is all about, the different roles. We get an adjudicator and all those types of things. We like, get adjudicators. We get, uh, what do they call them all? They give them all. They all got funky names. Uh, the adjudicator is one. They have the director is another. They have the elder administrators. It's fantastic. It's mm-hmm. I, I love it so much. How... <laughs> Literally, like a couple people have real names, and that's it. Yep, and that's it. Um, and again, you know, these movies have not been—they've slowly grown in box office. Yeah, right. They've slow, they've built up, which I mean, it's hard to do now. Very rarely do studios, do franchises, have the patience to build up their box office for the first one to make money, and then the second one makes more money, and now the third one is on on track. As of this recording, to make to have a huge opening weekend. Well, I think what you saw with these films is the first film really didn't get marketed a ton. I think those that followed movies and that you know saw the trailers and and knew about it a little bit, right, and got excited for it. But I mean, it only did a fourteen million open. Ended up making forty three total domestically. Obviously, made some more worldwide, mm-hmm. but. Um, nothing like that you would say like, oh my gosh, that was a massive success, but it was one of those movies that even as it got out of theaters, it just picked up steam of like, this movie was really good. Like this was a fantastic, like almost like right on a different standard because it was more accessible than this, but like almost like the raid from the standpoints of like, yes, a lot of people probably didn't see it in theaters, but a lot of people heard about it from a friend who saw it in theaters and they told their friend, you got to watch this film. Yeah. Um, and then second one, I still don't feel like they really marketed John Wick too much. Um, they marketed it a little bit more maybe than John Wick one, but I think they really just relied almost in essence on, okay, all these people that missed out on seeing John Wick one in theaters right. are going to pay attention <laughs> to when this comes out and make sure they see John Wick 2 in theaters. And so you saw it do, you know, it had a $30 million opening, which is, you know, double than the first. Yeah. And then ended up with like 92. So basically doubled the first one's numbers. And right now we're tracking, it had like a $22 million Friday. Um, big Friday. With the previews. So it's tracking to like somewhere between 55 and 65 in that range. So obviously this one's going to go well over 100. I don't know that it'll get to 200 to where you could see it follow the same type of pattern of doubling, doubling the second film, but it'll probably get really close. I, I could see this movie having some legs. Having Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard because summer's such a slaughter. Like the, the first two true. both came out in February where it's easier to have a little bit more legs because right. there's not the competition. They decided right. to go with the middle of the summer, middle of the like gauntlet of... Yep. fantastic films like obviously this one knocked off Endgame but yep. it wasn't like it you know it followed Pikachu who still had a solid week, second weekend mm-hmm. and, and 
granted Pikachu and you know, a PG movie and an R movie don't really cross over too right. much. John Wick's not going to be taking too much audience away from these movies that are currently out, but the movies that come out after it will take large chunks away sure. from John Wick. It's just the nature of the R rating. R ratings often have big drops yep. depending on what they are. But that being said, this action, this franchise is phenomenal. Is that we are so blessed. <laughs> I would venture to say the word blessed is, is appropriate to live in a world in a time in which over the course of the last five years, we've got... When did the raid come out? Because I want to I look that up too. Well, I think one of the things as, as we dive into like John Wick as an action franchise is that it's very rare with like these types of action films that like the quality stays True. where it is from movie to movie like even if we go back to Keanu and the Matrix like Matrix 1 was like I would say borderline like revolutionary of what it did yeah and I would say there's nothing borderline about it yeah and the second one I think most people were pretty satisfied with like where we amped up to with the second one right third one it, it's polarizing, you know. Right. People, some people think it was a good end to the franchise. Some people have their issues with it. Some I'd people probably, are still trying to figure it out. Yes, some people are still trying <laughs> to figure it out. Um, but I think that one, like, there was some decline. Like, you came out with this booming start, and like the right. second one was solid. Like, it's not that right. people didn't like it. It was a good movie, but this one just felt like it took it to a ne- another level each time. And so I think it's rare that you get that. Even if you go back to other like great action heroes, whether it be like Rambo, like, mm-hmm. you know, or I don't know, pick pick any of the ones that are out there. There's just not many examples of an action franchise. There's plenty of franchises that do well as they go on. Right. But like a true action franchise. So if you think of like Arnold and and uh I don't know. Sly. Sly. Any of those. All of the Bruce, all of the 90s action movies, even the even the first decade of the 2000s action yeah. movies, the Michael Bay's and stuff like yeah. that. It was always more, 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 more. And usually, usually amping things up like what we got in John Wick ends up hurting it. Like, because sure. you get away from what made it really good. But what I think this did was it did a good job of balancing that it. It expanded the world, mm-hmm. but we still got pretty much one-liners from John Wick. Yep. We still got beautiful cinematography, and we still got amazing action and fight scenes. And it knew John Wick just seems, and the franchise as a whole, seems to really know who it is, and it stuck to that. Throughout, I think a big word um, or a big phrase to think about, not only with John Wick, but also some of the other franchises that I do want to mention is um, incremental growth in that it's not biting off more than it can chew with each additional entry. It's giving you just enough. We're going to do awesome action sequences. We're going to add just enough to make it different. And we're going to give you a little more like John Wick's not in space. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think, oddly enough, when you think about the past, again, decades worth of f- action franchises, we are in a really great time for action franchises. You look at the way the Fast and the Furious movies grew incrementally. Now they're batshit insane, but they grew incrementally. They grew from 
one to two to three to four, and then five took it to another level, and then six and seven and eight took it each additional level. You look at um, the Mission Impossible movies, same thing, where Fallout's a, and if, if Mission Impossible Fallout and Mad Max hadn't have come out when they did, I might say this is the best action film of like the past decade, but it has got steep competition. Sure. The Raid came out in 2011, and The Raid 2, same thing. It added incrementally. It added, it built worlds um, in ways that, uh, like you said, it no, they know what they're about. Well, and that's the thing, I think, the difference between John Wick, even if you go back to The Matrix and that, like, John Wick's not trying to compete for an Oscar. Like, when you got Mad Max, like, not that they were necessarily trying for an Oscar, because I think by their release date... You could probably say, you know, they, it's probably not a typical time for an Oscar movie to go out. Sure. But there's a whole lot more depth to that story and complex characters and that. This is pretty straightforward. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's like, simple and relatable. And that's where I think, one, it's relatable and people really love. And that's why it's talked about so much and, and will do so well in the theaters. But it also, I think hopefully sends a message that it's okay to not have some crazy complex storyline. Like you can make a very straightforward film, even with a storyline that we've had before right? and just do a really good job of it and introduce characters that yes, maybe they follow the same arc of characters or that's the same like basic story path, but they're new characters that are interesting and you just do a really good job at all the actual filmmaking pieces of the movie and make a really popular franchise. Exactly. It's a matter. I mean, we say it all the time in our in our regular work is give a shit, you know, sure. and there's and, and, and again, that can only take you so far. Like I said, you know, odds of Steven Seagal giving a shit and having it equal something like this probably not going to happen because he's not on the same level. You know, yeah. and the same directors, you get some B movie director, he could give all the shits and he just doesn't have the skill. And this is the perfect marriage of passion and skill. And, and this is where I would say it should send a message to Hollywood, too, and studios in the sense of passion being such a big indicator of like the end product that you're going to get. Because think about in recent history, because we've started getting films where people really wanted to do a certain film. The right. ones that jump out to me are. You had Tom Hardy with always wanting to do a Venom movie. Right. I'm not saying Venom is like some like critically no, amazing it, film. It is a bad movie. But yes. there's no doubt when you watch Venom that Tom Hardy was all into that film. A thousand percent committed. And the because of that, there's a likability factor because it, you see someone being passionate it about it. It raises it up. And it did great in theaters, and yep. we're getting another one, apparently. Yep. Uh, but you also get into, you mentioned Aquaman earlier. That was, you know, a lot of people that were really passionate about doing that. Um, John Wick, I'm trying to think. There was one other one I was going to mention. But you're hearing more and more of these stories about, like, I've always wanted to do this. You know, I fought through hurdles to get it done. There's very rarely that you hear someone describe that story and the end product is bad. And listen, sometimes it does happen, though, like not to get too far off on a tangent here, but Gemini Man with Will Smith is coming out later this year. That's a movie that's been in development for 
more than almost 25 years that Ang Lee has been trying to get made for decades. And I'm not 100% sold on it yet. I'm not sure. 100% sold that it's going to be this great thing. But, and that's, again, it's so hard to do. But going back to another thing that you said, which is relatability, John Wick is so relatable as a character. Number one, like I showed my mom and my sister this movie for the first time not too long ago. And I warned them, I'm like, listen, this is a very violent action movie, but the first 10 minutes are as emotionally devastating as the first 10 minutes and up. I gotta prepare you mm -hmm. for that. Cause like you can't be prepared for, oh, he loves his wife, he loses his wife. Oh, he gets a, an adorable dog and then that adorable dog is killed. But, and that's so hard to watch even now. Like, and they put little touches in like when the dog like winds up crawling next to him. Like in in the end, it, oh, it's, it's emotional terrorism. Like you, it you've, is you've emotional used, terrorism. <laughs> well, and the fact that not only is like this a dog, but it was like a puppy, somehow a it beagle. was somehow it was a puppy that didn't his wife give it to him? Yep, it was like a post. So like, not only did he lose his wife, but his wife gave him this puppy, and so like. Having your puppy killed is sad enough on its own. Right. But we got, we're going to add another layer of depth to it. And, like, I just could imagine people in the planning room, like, what can we do that would, like, just get everybody immediately pissed kill off and want them to, let's kill his dog. You break a cardinal no, let's movie an, rule. let's amp it up. Not only kill his dog, let's kill his dog that his dead wife gave to him. It is, a, it is a cardinal rule in most movies. Independence Day and um, Armageddon are two major, um, uh, what's the word, proponents of this, but you never kill the dog. You know, the audience doesn't like it, but because it's the inciting incident, not only that, but the life that he had, the five years out where he lived a seemingly happy life, he found love, he found everything, and he's trying to claw back to that. It's really... Okay, it's really like an odyssey. It's really like a um, a Dante's Inferno type thing, trying to get back to your heaven, but sure. being progressively pulled further and further back into hell and trying not to lose yourself. That's some compelling shit for a simple action movie as the as simple as these are. Like that's the second one is he's trying to claw back. He gets pulled back in, and then not only that, the person that pulls back in stands, stabs him in the back. Same thing with this one. He's trying, not only is he, this one is all about survival. We mentioned revenge, vengeance, and now this is all about survival. Sure. Trying to survive to find a way back to that heaven. And again, being pulled deeper down, being asked to, yeah, you might be able to get away with this, but you can never have that. And we'll, we won't get too far into it yet, but that's so in. That's so fascinating. Yeah. You know, to break that down. Um, let's wrap this up. I mean, obviously, this is Pete Keanu. Or, well, there's this is one of several Pete Keanus, which is another amazing thing. We had young Keanu, right? We had Point Break. We had Speed. We had Bill and Ted. And then we had Matrix Keanu. Just mm -hmm. multi-millionaire, biggest franchise. And then he laid low, did some stuff, did did whatever he wanted pretty much, lived, lived a pretty humble life, much like John Wick. <laughs> and maybe not so much. He's in some rom-coms and whatnot. But now he's back. And again, he's in one of the best action franchises of our time again. Like to be, that's hard to do, man. To be like, to peak three different times in your career. As, yeah. as you and I have talked more and more about the pyramid, one of the things we focus on is, how many times has an actor been at peak relevance? And three times for Keanu is pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, how did you like this movie? 
just like straight up. I thought it was to me. It's probably, and this is no knock on any of them. No, it may be my third favorite. Interesting, but it's really close with the first one. There's something beautiful and amazing and great about the original because one, it set the table for this, but like it's so good at like, I love the whole story of like getting dragged back in. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, my mind always goes to, if we want to talk about a story like that is, is tombstone, you know, when, when Wyatt's hung him up and then gets dragged back in and you know, you got the scene at the train station and that like that, so many aspects of this call back to things that we get in Tombstone. That's a but, good point. But at the same time, like things are just so much more amped up in two and three. Yeah. Comparatively, not just from a a world and the lore and everything that's been built up, but also from like the obviously amped up the budget come two and three. Sure. There's definitely more special. You effects. think about like the cool like fight scenes and that in the first one, like they're pretty basic settings. Like the most complex is probably the nightclub. Right. And outside of that, you're in like a random warehouse, warehouse. You're in a house a quarry. in Defoe's house. Right. You got a scene in there. Like there's nothing in there that screams like a memorable, like and the s- <laughs> setting. And the second one is like, the catacombs of Rome. Yes. So like we immediately jump up big time. I think, uh, I think two is my favorite only because it's, it's, it's kind of the perfect blend of still the simplicity. We get more of the lore, but not so much that you like start overthinking it and be like, some of this is a little weird to me. Like in that you also don't get like what feels like somewhat of a forced addition to the, franchise and Halle Berry like I think Halle's fine in it and I think she's more than fine and I think (laughs) I think she does (laughs) I think she does she's she's okay like for me her character her character was okay like I I I enjoyed her but it didn't feel necessary from this standpoint um the dogs were awesome in it but at the same time again they felt kind of gimmicky to me a little bit like like it was cool to have her and her have her have a thing like it brought back the dog thing full circle in that this franchise loves dogs despite all of the talk of the death of the dog this franchise is very animal friendly absolutely absolutely but again it it started in the third one with that without getting into spoilers that's the point where i finally felt like okay we're in like it felt more of like a big budget trying to appeal to more people and, and kind of getting beyond itself a little bit. Interesting. Like this is the first film that I felt like it started to get a little bit beyond itself. But again, it's a fantastic film and we'll get into popcorn ratings here in a second, sure. but I really enjoyed it. I think you get um, the thing that I think this movie was lacking and I'll have to see it again is I feel like there wasn't like a super memorable, like, speech or scene conversation whatever you want to say sure i feel like you got a ton of that in the first well the first one i think the main ones are all driven by you know the baba yagi conversation (laughs) and you know his i'm back thing so it was pretty simple in the second one you get you know the conversation with common you get um 
the conversation with uh, the sister that ends up dying. Like there's some good like dialogue sections. Again, not where Keanu's saying a bunch, but there's some good dialogue in there. This one, there's definitely obviously a lot of dialogue in it, but nothing of it that I can think of. And again, I've only seen it once and it was a couple days ago. Nothing like immediately echoes back like quotability from it immediately. Okay. So that's why to me, you know, the second one's kind of the perfect blend of we're getting bigger, we're getting a bigger budget, we're doing really cool effects now and stuff, but we're still really into kind of our narrow scope that we set sure. in the beginning. This might be my favorite of the franchise. It's funny. I'll, I, I, again, I know you say all of those things with the caveat that you really enjoyed this movie, but I disagree with almost everything that you said as far as nitpicks, though. With the exception of the dialogue, I agree that uh, there is nothing that comes to mind that is nearly as quotable as the previous two films. As a matter of fact, I think Keanu says less in this film than he does in the other two films, uh, specifically because he never has a big speech like that. But I'll tell you, man, I think the first 20 minutes of this movie are the best 20 minutes of the entire franchise. I think that whole thing where he's on the run and he's trying to get to the library, I was giddy. I was laughing my ass off in the middle of the theater every time when fucking Boban shows up and like, all, like I, and the, and everything. I loved it. I love and I do agree this movie does widen the scope. You know, where we find ourselves in locations where it's like, oh, that's what this is for. And there are more members of the high table and stuff like that. But I thought Halle Berry was a badass. I love the dogs. I didn't find them particularly gimmicky. I love I love everyone that showed up. We didn't even mention we got Asia Kate Dillon showed up as the adjudicator. adjudicator. She's great. We have fucking Angelica Houston is in this movie. We had Braun. From Game of Thrones show up. Mm -hmm. There's so many people in this movie that that build off of that. Um, the there are so many fun cameos of guys of the henchmen guys and whatnot and people that he's fighting. See, and that to me though is when you start getting into like to do the comparison, maybe Austin Powers A from little. that standpoint, where it's like you start, it almost feels like certain people were like, I want to be in this film. Sure. Like, find me a role type of thing. Sure. And even going out and getting someone of Halle Berry's, you know, prowess and, and name. Stature. Stature to put in there in a relatively bit part. Like, I thought from the previews in that she would be much more involved in the greater story than right. this, than what she is. Right. And so, to me, that's where you start getting a little bit more out of kind of what this originally was. And it feels sure. like some of these things, like even the Boban thing, like it felt like a, <laughs> and I love Boban and I loved that scene and, and it was fun. But again, like getting away from like what made John Wick right. amazing. And again, I will, we're just about to go into popcorn ratings and you'll see, I'd love this film. I love this film. Um, we'll get into more because I disagree with that just in terms of, I want more of it. Like, I want The Rock to show up in the fifth movie as some random guy. I love that Halle Berry isn't in this movie for a long time, that she's just sitting in her own little corner of this universe to either be called upon again or to spin off. That's just smart. 
you know, from a possible from a money making standpoint, I find that to be a smart move. But we can get more into that into spoilers. As far as the popcorn ratings go, if you've never listened to an episode before, we have five different popcorn ratings. Burnt popcorn means movie is garbage, don't go see it. Stale popcorn means movie is not great. You probably shouldn't spend money on it, but if you're desperate, go ahead. Microwave popcorn means your mileage may vary. You might like it. You might not. Uh, you know, it's completely up to you. It was middle of the road for us. Movie theater popcorn means it's a pretty good movie. You should probably go check it out in a movie theater with a fresh bag of popcorn. And perfect popcorn is perfect. Go see it immediately on the biggest screen possible. For me, this movie's perfect popcorn, baby. I loved everything about it. I have no qualms. Again, I don't disagree with some of your nitpicks, like the quotes, like there is more exposition in this movie than than I think the previous two films. There's more explanation of the currency and the world and, and things like that and the high table. There is more of that. And, and it, it takes a moment to slow down sometimes to explain that. But I, this might be my favorite movie of the year so far. And that's going up against movies like Endgame, Us. It might, it's in the conversation right now for me. And I know you find that ridiculous. But I loved every second of this movie. So I'm giving it perfect popcorn. I'm going to give it perfect popcorn as well. Um, and while I have a number of nitpicks about it, someone's got to talk about some of the things that I feel don't work as well as some of the other aspects of, of this film. Of course. But I do think overall from completing a franchise, and again, I feel like from a franchise perspective and talking about franchises and how they evolve, like you have to continue to get bigger. Like we can't just continue to tell the same basic story. You know, that's where the fast franchise went. That's where Matrix went. That's where all good franchise continue to expand and get bigger. I think there's just certain things that you can do to continue to stay true to what made you, for lack of a better term, um, and what made you great to some point. And it's almost like, uh, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but overall, I really liked it. I think it's one that if you like John Wick, you should go and see in theaters. You're not going to be disappointed. Um, it's one that I could easily go and see again in theaters and, and really enjoy myself. And I may find myself going and seeing it again. Definitely. Definitely. And we're definitely going to talk about spoilers because a lot of what we're talking about it, it can be fleshed out with spoilers. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick little ad break. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue with spoilers, I want to remind everyone that you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you for free by hitting that subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. So take a second. We really appreciate it to hit that button. Take a few seconds to write a review, give us a rating, share the popcorn diet with any of your friends or family. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider donating a few dollars to the podcast. Not only is it going to help us create more content, not only is it going to help us improve the podcast, but it also gives you access to exclusive patron-only episodes like franchise refills and more. Of course, we also don't want you to forget that you can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at the popcorn diet and then last but certainly not least you can find all of our latest regular episodes articles reviews predictions and more on our website popcorndietpodcast.com but now it's time for spoilers david um and i don't know i don't know if we want to talk more about the world building or if we just want to get into favorite scenes of the movie favorite kills of the movie like there are so many fa uh, let's start with the first 20 minutes okay 
I, I, there's something about the fact that he's on the run. He's got an hour, and he's trying to clean up. He's trying to put together all of his loose ends. He's running. He's going to the library. He fights Bob. He kills Boban with a book, which is amazing. There are literally, I think, in that first twenty minutes, like four of my favorite kills in the franchise. When he, the whole knife fight is phenomenal. And when he trucks that axe into the guy's head as like a finishing move, I cackled. When he uses the horse to straight up kick people like to death, I'm in. He's jumping sure. on horses. He's getting stabbed. He slow stabs that guy in the eye. Yep. He goes to the doctor. The whole thing with the doctor where he's like, shoot me here, shoot me here. I love all of that. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons that plays so well is, I, I mean, again, to kind of give your give a little credence to... Um, your nitpick is that it is momentum, 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 mm -hmm. momentum. There's no bullshit. Yeah. It's so good. I was so hyped. And admittedly, things slowed down once he got to the director's office and whatnot. Although that did flesh out his history, too. Sure. Yeah, I think the first 20 minutes are fantastic. I mean, you know, as we talk through it, you do get the night fight was my favorite of those beginning scenes. I did enjoy the library fight. I wasn't as into the horses. I mean, it was still great sure. and and that, and it was, you know, fun to see John Wick kill in yet another way <laughs> yeah. from that standpoint. Um, <laughs> if you want to get into nitpicks, the chances of being able to do what he did in there is zero. <laughs> Those horses are not just going to stand around there and kick on demand. No, the when first gunshot. When there's gunshots and things like that <laughs> happening. So yeah. that's that's where, like, <laughs> when we get into nitpicks, like, that's where I start having a little bit of issues with this film. Again, I'm fine with it. It's a movie. I'm there to have fun. I'm there to enjoy it. Sure. John Wick, again, I'm not going there to see an Oscar winning movie that's a terribly realistic from that standpoint film. i'm seeing an action film from sure. that standpoint so again i don't have issues with it from the context but one of the things that i really always enjoyed about the first two john wick movies was that they stayed very physical very like it felt real like granted there was plenty of unrealistic things like bulletproof tuxes and yeah you know close range bullets that somehow didn't kill and and all that good stuff like sure. the amount of bullets it took to kill half the people in this franchise at times is ridiculous right um but this is the first one where like we start using almost like props for props sake to some point sure. where we we lose some of the realism of it from that standpoint and so um so, yeah, I mean, the first 20 minutes are just wildly entertaining. And then again, like you said, we start getting into more of like explaining of this world and we slow down on the action in a large way. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, like the whole again and, and the whole bit with with Angelica Houston as the director. I like that she was a director who was directing a play. Like that was, I was like, oh, she's the director. Okay. Cause she's directing, mm -hmm. but she's also training these assassins. That's what she's directing too. So we get to see a little bit of like, oh, John, does this bring back memories? Like that little bit. It's like, oh shit. Oh, this is where John Wick came from. Mm -hmm. Love stuff like that. I would love, I'm predicting, not only would I love, but I am predicting that in one of the next films, you know, they're going to make more. This movie's going to make too much money. They're going to make at least another one. I predict that we're going to get into how they travel. 
how does John Wick get to Italy or Morocco? There's got to be a continental airline. Like, there's got to be, like, what shitty airline exists in our world that is, like, a front for assassins, like, spirit? Like, sure. he, like, is he flying Frontier? And Frontier, like, in reality, like, has, like, one flight a day that's, like, ultra-luxurious continental sure. stuff. <laughs> Sure. You know, um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I soak that stuff up while at the same time, like understanding that it there certainly slows down. Um, what was your, what was, what were your, besides the first 20 minutes, what were some of your favorite bits or moments or scenes or kills? I think most of my favorite kills would, would come in the beginning. The fight so with, good. with Halle Berry would. They have the long fight scene where the dogs are involved and all that yeah. is is a lot of fun. Again, I could get nitpicky on the dogs and and just their involvement to some point and whether one it was necessary and two some of it was realistic even necessary. Um, but the the scene itself is again the high paced high action like it's tough to keep track with every shot that's being fired right now like it's everything that john wick you have come to known plus dogs from that standpoint and so <laughs> i i i enjoyed that that scene um a lot i'm trying to think of some of the other ones that i liked how about you um well to me i loved how this movie maybe even more than the other two ramped things up like a video game uh, very, very much like a video game where in the, in the first and second one, I just felt like it was just like, okay, he's got to fight more guys. There's more guys involved, especially the second one. It's like there's more guys involved. There's more guys involved um, until it's finally just down to him and the bat and the final villain, the final boss, if you will. He's I, so good at that. I, I love with this one, it's the same thing where it's like, okay, we're starting with knives and then I'm on horses and then I'm going to fight this whole scene with dogs. And the way that they incorporate the dogs with the headshots is so good. Uh, and then we're going to do motorcycles. And then we're going to do like the final. I loved the final fight in the hotel because they finally introduced guys he couldn't headshot. Like, okay, you got to change your tactics up a little bit. I, that's a video game. That's literally like you spent like it's like Arkham Batman Arkham games where you spend your first two hours fighting regular guys beating the shit out of them. And then suddenly there's guys with shields and you got to introduce a new tactic. I just liked that approach. I, I thought that was a really ingenious and simple way of escalating things. That was if anybody who's played video games understands that anybody who's video games understands that escalation. Sure. Um, I love that. I loved Mark DeCascos. Let's talk about the supporting cast because we talked about pretty much everyone is great in this movie. Um, I really liked Halle Berry uh, for, you know, for I, I, I enjoyed her. I could watch a whole movie just with her running the Morocco Continental. Ian McShane is off the fucking chain again. Lance Reddick, The Wire, shout out, shouts out. As uh, the concierge gets so much more to do in this movie and is awesome. Mark DeCascos as Zero, the, the Iron Chef chairman, as like the fanboy to John Wick. Like, I'm such a big fan. Like, I don't, you don't, he's and like, we're the same. I'm just like you. And then to be told by your like hero that's like, we're nothing alike. I loved it. I love the raid guys showing up. Uh, my only nitpick is Jason Manzukis was not given enough to do. I like that he stayed alive till the end. 
but I'm like, I need more of my boy Zooks. I love if if you listen, obviously you're listening to this, you listen to our podcast. How Did This Get Made is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. And it's Paul Shear, June Diane Raphael, and Jason Manzukis riffing on bad movies. And he's one of the funniest people working today. And he's the TikTok guy at the very beginning. TikTok, Mr. Wick, running out of time. <laughs> I need more Zooks. I need more Zooks. See, that wasn't a nitpick to me because I felt like it was a character that, yes, left you wanting more from him, but at the same time was like perfect for for what he did. Like, sure, they didn't they I didn't they didn't try to overplay Manzukis just because he's Manzukis. Like, right. they didn't force a character into having a bigger role than what they needed from that character. Right, like. That's a good point. We didn't need to see Manzukis go off and be a badass and kill people. Like we have enough of that already in the film. Sure. From that standpoint. There has to be people who fill in those little pieces that not everybody can be yeah. a star. How'd you like uh how'd you like Taylor Mason, Asia Kate Dillon from Billions? <laughs> she like basically played Taylor Mason. It was Mason. really hard for me to watch her and not be annoyed with her because of how much I dislike her in Billions sure. and want her to lose in billions. Um, so it was really hard from that standpoint and it doesn't help that she was then again playing another, you know, jerk role. Like control freak jerk yeah. role. In, in this film. Dacascos is, is my favorite <laughs> addition to the franchise in this, in this film. Um, He's so good. One, you get the addition of, you know, what I felt was something that we didn't get a ton of yet that made sense in this with the amount of fighting, which was kind of the Asian aspect of it with mm -hmm. the swords. Um, we knew we were going to get it from the preview when you see all the bikes, the bike scene. We did get some from sword, that standpoint. So we play. got the sword, but like he's got some brutal kills in there. Like when he's going around and basically cleaning up New York of yeah. everybody, yeah. Um, he's got some brutal ones. I also really enjoyed, I feel like, whether obviously it wasn't planned, but like they lucked into it. I feel like Ian McShane was a huge upgrade and granted he came in the second one. No, um, he was in the first one. I thought it was someone else that played. Nope. You sure? Yeah. Winston? Yeah. No, it's definitely always Ian McShane. All right. I guarantee you. And he's been, he's certainly, and I will tell you this, he certainly has more to do in the second one. Because in the first one, he's literally just sitting at the bar and he's just like, Hello, Jonathan. Like he doesn't. He's got a little bit to do. Sure. But again, the second one really opens up so that McShane has more to do in the second one. And the same thing with Reddick. Lance Reddick gets so much more to do in this one. Um, and that's again what I think this franchise does really, really well. We were talking about this about Billions in that the first one starts with just a few people, and then it expands. And this same thing, the franchise starts with a few people and then expands and it manages to give those existing characters more to do inexplicably whilst also introducing characters that are given a decent amount to do. That's a hard thing to do. That's a hard balance to make. And so to take Winston, Ian McShane's character, and expand him even more into this um, mentor role, into this... There's a lot of actually really interesting theories online that he is John's wife's father, uh, which I find fascinating, but I don't think is true. But to see him not only expand in, from mentor role into an ally role, but again, same thing with Lance Reddick as well. And then to take 
uh, Halle Berry throw her in. I think Lawrence Fishburne doesn't get as many scenes. Maybe he gets more. I, I don't remember. But he certainly gets to be as big as possible. But Mark DeCasca, every time they bring in like that final villain to fight, like it was common, because I don't really count Santino as the final villain. Like Santino can't fight John. No, no. So it was it was the first movie, it was Vigo. It's not really a fair fight. Second movie, it's common, and that fight is phenomenal. Common holds his own. This well, you one get two fight two pieces to that. Because you get Aries yeah. with Ruby Rose. Yep. And this one, it's my two boys from the raid, which is a phenomenal fight. Sure. And it's literally it's a video game. It's Sub bosses and then the final boss, but he brings such a personality to Zero. Oh yeah, that Common is basically Common in in Part Two. He's like Common but assassin. Sure. Dacascos in this is like overjoyed to be a part of what he's doing, and there's still that level of respect. There's still that level of fanboyism. But Dacascos, like I, I agree with you. I think Dacascos is a really great addition. Yeah. I think my only issue with Halle was that it didn't need to be Halle Berry in that role. Sure. Like, I almost think you could have found someone better for that role. Um, Get, oh, okay. Give me, do you have anybody in mind? I don't just at this moment. But okay. I just feel like. Charlize Theron. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go to that easy one. But from that standpoint, it's just one of those things where it's like I feel like there's something that comes with it being Halle Berry. That like again, I I just still don't feel like she's in that position where it's like she's playing a bit role of and and it's not convincing. There's a couple aspects of it. Again, I think the dog thing throws me off a little bit because sure. like it felt like okay, this is a person that has dogs and then it was also kind of like are they friends or is it just john has a marker on her and so she's forced to go like that's what you I know in, in the wikipedia it describes it as the wikipedia the wikipedia <laughs> um it describes it as assassin and close friend of john wick like i didn't get close friend out of it like, i got i that, got like acquaintance with a past is what yeah, I Yeah, like they fellow assassins at at best from sure. that standpoint where they they've known each other and they have a history. I mean, remember she basically like leaves him with like barely any water and yep. that she spit in there. I mean, I would be mad. in the middle of the desert like from that standpoint. So it's like I just I was confused a little bit in like what her role was necessarily. Sure. Because it wasn't like Going and find and maybe I'm fuzzy on memory because I watched it late at night, but it I don't remember him necessarily obtaining anything from her. No, he needed her to get to the elder. That's basically he needed her. He but needed she her. basically just drops him off in the middle of the desert. Right. So maybe he didn't know where in the desert to get dropped <laughs> off, but he still wanders until he passes out and gets picked up by someone and put on a camel. So like, right. to but he me, didn't know that. He didn't know that information. Like he's like, how do I get to the elder? And she's like, I don't know, but I know somebody who does. They go and see Bron at the coin mint, and they have that whole thing, and then that whole thing goes tits up. But nothing. But that's what I'm saying is like, I don't know that he ever actually gets any value out of that relationship. Like he doesn't. I think he does. He meets the elder, but not because of her. Well, yeah. Let's go from A to B to C. Yeah. 
He shows up in Morocco. Yep. He goes to her. He's like, I have a marker. You yeah. are you are duty bound to fulfill it. She's like, yeah. fuck you. And he's like, marker. She's like, get out of here. He's like, marker. She's yeah. like, fine. What do you need? He's like, I need to talk to the elder. Mm-hmm. She's basically like, I know a guy who can tell you how to get there. Yeah. Right? Okay. That's She's providing yep. value. No, that's providing value. They go I to, agree. They go to Braun. Braun's... Braun, not any shocker there. He's literally playing practically the same character, but in a suit. And then that whole thing goes bad. Sure. Yep. Uh, leads to the probably the longest action sequence of the film. Yep. Agreed. And then, but they get the info. They get okay. This is how we do it. You got this. Is how you get to the elder. You got to walk till you're gonna die, and he's gonna find you. And yeah, that's some hokey like mysticism, high table bullshit. But that is what her value was, is he helped him acquire that info and then dr- drove him to the point of where it's and like, that, fine, and that, John, get out of here. And I guess that's where, to me, like, it felt like like a forced addition from that standpoint in the sense that, like, did we need to bring in Halle Berry and have Halle Berry be so much of the marketing and everything and we're going to market this around Halle Berry being a big part of this franchise when really all she does is move them from point A to point B, you know, from that standpoint, like butts and seats, but that's, that's, and that's fine from a marketing perspective and from a strategy uh, perspective, perspective, but from a standpoint of like being the best movie that it can be, I don't know that she and Halle Berry specifically playing that role was necessary from that standpoint. That's all that I'm getting. Is it the character or is it Halle Berry? To me, it's a combo from the standpoint of like the character would have been fine. But I feel like when you add someone like Halle Berry to be in that role and then you market it the way that you did, like Mm -hmm. I expect it to tie in a whole lot more than like 20 minutes of the movie is Halle Berry time. But she's not going to come. She's not going to circle around full circle in the end. She's not going to be teased in the beginning as like. No. Someone from his past. She's literally going to be 20 minutes of the movie and forgotten about after. And and the only thing that I can really tie to like the rest of the franchise is the concept of a marker. Like that was very much at the central theme of the second one. For and sure. even um, when is it? I think it's in the third because they kind of run together for me. But when he gets the marker. Yeah, he gets a couple it from of gold the coins. Yeah, he gets it from the library. Um and he gets those out of there, and that was the marker from there. But we don't really get, like, you build up a character like this that looks to have significance, but you don't really give the background of, like, how to get the marker or any of that kind of stuff. Sure. So that's where I just get a little nitpicky on it, where it's like they treated it like a minor character, but you went out and got a major person for it. Right. And then you also kept it super minor and didn't really give a whole lot of background. Again, this is getting really nitpicky about a movie no, that I gave perfect popcorn to. Of course, to. but I think it's a I think it's a fun conversation because I think it's I think you cast somebody like Halle Berry specifically because it is a minor role that you need to give more heft to. And yeah, you could do the legwork and but write it. But did you into need to give more heft to that role. I think if when you cast an Academy Award winner, and the same same goes of Angelica Houston, the same goes for Lawrence Fishburne, like these are heavy hitters who are playing side characters, bit parts, right? And sure, and and Halle Berry is essentially Winston of Morocco. Like that's her role. She's the she's the one one running the Continental. So sure. by our nature of knowing Winston, if you tell us, oh, she's Moroccan Winston. 
we know there's a certain level of importance there. And then when you cast an Academy Award winning actor there, that by nature forces you to pay attention more versus we cast somebody else. But that's my thing is you didn't need to pay more attention to her. Like, it's not like she was something that came Maybe. deep into the infolds of the entire film. Like, I think of, if I compare it to like Defoe, casting Defoe sure. in the first film. Like, he was central to it. In the beginning, you didn't know, is he on his side? Is he not on his side? Right. And he ends up having a very meaningful and important ending to his character. Like, he is folded in throughout. And so it makes sense to get someone as Defoe to carry that role from that standpoint. Okay. Whereas with Halle Berry, I feel like you get a character that, again, you cast someone that's A-list. And, again, they, they don't serve any more purpose outside of the time that he's in Morocco from that standpoint yet. So that's my sure. So, and that leads to, I think the probably pretty good final question, which is, do we need more John wick? Are we going to get another one? Do you want one? Because I feel as if you could get more, you could make a whole different spinoff with Halle Berry. If you wanted to, you could bring her back in for whatever reason, when they do the sixth John wick and it's John wick Avengers and they bring fucking everybody back. And it turns out Common's still alive and they bring in Halle Berry and Lawrence Fishburne and all the people they bring in Angelica Houston with her fucking cut hands and they think, oh, I got to fight. Like, it's it's battle against the high table versus these guys. Like, when that happens, you get a, level, a certain level of payoff. But the question ultimately is, do you think we'll see another John Wick? Are you in for more John Wick? I know the answer to these Do questions. I think we'll get another John Wick? Yes. Do okay. I want another John Wick? Unpopular opinion here. I'm actually good without having another John Wick. <sighs> like, I just feel like... These first three films and what we got from it, from a beginning, middle, and end, was perfect. They're and, very good. They're very. It's a very good. And franchise. I don't need to taint it with a Halle Berry spinoff with her dogs. <laughs> like, and again, I've made most of this podcast complaining about Halle Berry, and and that wasn't my intention at the beginning <laughs> of this podcast. But it's it's the residual Catwoman PTSD. It is. It there. probably is. <laughs> but from that standpoint, like. Why do I need, if it's not going to be Keanu and if it's not going to be the same director, I don't need it. Like, oh, from well, that okay, standpoint. Okay, okay. Now that, I'm, I can get on board with that. I understand that. Like, I don't need a prequel of Common's story. Like, I don't need. Okay, but John Wick Chapter 4, everybody's going to die. Are you there? But I, the, the thing is, is the reason I have an issue with that is it feels like they set this up to be the end of this story like from the standpoint of like what does he still have left to do other i mean you have the scene which i think is probably the only scene of super weighty well not super weighty it's an action movie but like some weighted action movies can be weighty how dare you okay um <laughs> i agree but with winston when he basically convinces John Wick to basic when he's given him his pitch basically right. to stay and fight and you know resist basically like you could kill me but he, you'll lose your soul he said you could kill me you'll lose your soul or you could fight and basically go after what when we started this whole story you were after what you had in essence you were out 
you had the dog, you, you know, yes, you lost your wife, but like you were out right. and you were able to move on from this. Right. And then you got pulled back in. Like that will never happen if you kill me and basically become a servant. Like basically the anti-pitch to what the elder said to sure. him. Like you'll keep your, you'll be able to be alive. But you, you will, your life is forfeit. Like exactly. And so he decided my life isn't forfeit from that standpoint. The only natural progression that doesn't feel like a force, like we just want to make more money off of this is, you know, going Game of Thrones tie in in honor of Game of Thrones ending a break the wheel type of scenario uh -huh. where he says he basically wants to end the whole high table and this governing of assassins. But again, I don't know whether because I don't because we've stayed relatively light on like the purpose of the high table and all of that, like sure. maybe there needs to be a, maybe even John wick recognizes that the high table is something that's necessary. Maybe. Like we don't know his opinion on it other than the fact that obviously he was against him because of what basically they wanted to kill him and we know from that standpoint. The thing we know is that and the movie ends with, with scarred up Lawrence Fishburne, who I'm a hundred percent here for. Absolutely. Going to John and being like, aren't you pissed off John wick? And he looks up, he's beat to hell, and he just goes, yeah. Yeah. Which is both, like, a meta joke, because that's all Keanu says. But, like, that's the fourth movie, is the break the wheel. Sure. But that also leads into questions of, like, what is a happy ending for John Wick? You know, a happy ending for John Wick is, is at this point, I think you actually bring up a really interesting point. Because I immediately was like, they're going to make a fourth one. But you bring up an interesting point in that, technically, he's dead. Technically, like, yeah, his body's not there. And I don't remember what the adjudicator said, but it was something to the effect of, you know, oh, I didn't find, like, John Wick's not here anymore. And she basically, it was like a veiled threat. And Winston was like, if he's around, then God help us all or something to that. Yeah. Effect. Something to that. Yeah, effect. because in her opinion, she obviously didn't pick up on the fact that that was all planted, planned. planned. Right. But in her opinion, he tried to kill john wick and in essence she tried or do we, they, they 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 correct tried to kill john as well and so they are saying basically he's going to try and come and kill us because we tried to kill him essentially and that that's what i got from the final yeah like the final yeah is yeah i'm pissed off and we're going after him but you bring up an interesting point interesting point in that if you wanted to he could just Give up. Like, he could go back home. Although, Santino blew up his home in part two, which, again, I don't know what the happy ending is for John Wick. Yeah. We'll see when part four happens, I guess. Yeah, part four will definitely happen. But, again, I don't need this to turn into the Fast franchise, and I love the Fast franchise because I don't think maybe Keanu rides it out through the fourth and maybe we get the same director for the fourth. But, like, at some point you're going to bridge off and other people are going to start taking care of this. And while it's not that I couldn't enjoy them, I feel like it would take away a little bit from because this was so perfect because they pretty much were literally a continuing story. Yeah. Um, this could have been an HBO show from Ooh. that standpoint. Oh, yeah. From an expanded story because they pretty much kept it in that format between these three movies. Like these three movies happen over the course of a month max. Max. Yeah. Like weeks. Yeah. Um, I'm there for it. I, he never got his car back either. That was one thing that they never. Well, he fucked it up in the second one, didn't he? Didn't he like kill all those guys with it in the first opening? No, scene? but remember he, and this is where they all merged together. But didn't at the beginning of this, 
he give the car to Leguizamo? And he says, can you fix it? And he says... That was the second one. That was the second one yep. still? Okay. So his car is still presumably being In fixed the by Johnny Legs. Um, That's right. That was the second one. I am, I am on the opposite end where I will... I, do, I don't disagree with the idea of diminishing returns. Totally understand. But if Stileski and, and Keanu were like, we have a plan for two more movies and we're done, I'm in. I'm in 1,000%. Sure. If they, if they want to, I'm in. I don't need spinoffs... Done by other people. You're not. They're not. You're not going to go watch the Continental TV show that no, they're making. I'm not making on stars. I'm not watching a Continental TV show. I will. I will I, depending on who's in that show, I'm. I have my. I'm interested. Sure, it's different if they do a show, but I don't need a movie that has a lesser lead, or even an equal lead that we're just trying to force into it that we weren't introduced. Like I, I'll tell you this, and this will just, you know, come back to the theme of John Wick, like. I'm not going to be jazzed up if they do a Halle Berry <laughs> spinoff that follows her character on some adventure. Moroccan adventure. Man, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Again, I, I'll see it because I love movies and I like seeing right. movies, but I'm not going to be pumped for it like I am John Wick. It's going to be. It'll be lesser. It'll be lesser. It's, it's even, I mean, I mean. Just as much as and I'm I won't and I won't think of it as John Wick. As much as I'm hyped for Hobbs and Shaw, it's not Fast and Furious. My mom even is the same. Like I'm like I'm all bored for that movie, and she goes, "Yeah, but Vin's not in it. She's big Vin Diesel yeah. fan." So I get it. I get it. Um, yeah, I'm I'm ready to go see this movie again. Like right now, though, I'm so. I love this movie very, very much. I'm willing to watch. No, you're not. It's 11 o'clock at night. And I'm, I'm you willing. couldn't see a movie at like this time. I do want to go to bed, but I am willing to walk back my statement. It is one of my favorite movies of the year so far. It is probably not my favorite movie of the year, but it is one of. It's in the conversation. I was going to say, I'm going to make you go see Avengers again. If, yeah, I, 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 I thought about it for a second, and I, I got to walk it back a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, but before we, before we finish, I want to remind everybody that, again, you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you for free. Hit that subscribe button. Follow wherever you're listening. Do us a favor. Just take a few seconds. Write a review. Give us a rating. Share the popcorn diet with your friends and family. Don't forget, you can follow us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Consider throwing a few bucks our way. It's going to help us improve the podcast in our own ways, shapes, and forms. But it'll also get you access to exclusive patron-only uh, content as well. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at the popcorn diet. And last... But of course, certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, reviews, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. And we'll see you next time with another good movie on the Popcorn Diet. Adios.